Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome to My Millennial Career. My name is Shelley. I'm a HR professional. Hey, Em. Hey, Shell. And I'm Emily, and I work in recruitment and customer experience for Foresight's Recruitment and HR. And today we've got a bonus episode. It's been a little while since we have recorded. We've been on a break ahead of season two. Yeah, it might be a bit rusty, but we'll warm up with uh, a few questions here, some hard-hitting questions. That's it. So today we're doing a quick episode where we've had some questions submitted on the Facebook community about pay, new jobs, and how to go about leaving your role and finding that new role. So we're going to dive straight in and talk about what you do when you're looking for a new job. So this question's come up quite a bit, Em, and I'm going to pose it to you because this is a lot of what your world looks like, helping people to find that new job. What do you do when you're in a role and you look, you start looking for a new job, but you don't want to ask your boss to be a reference? So maybe you're nervous about that affecting your job security. How, how do you approach that and what should our listeners do to get a reference from their current job? In an ideal world, and this ideal world does exist, you have set up your relationship with your direct manager in a way that means when it's time to move on to the next adventure, you can actually have an open and honest conversation with them and they're really supportive and they understand and they're actually really excited for you and therefore they're really happy to be a referee. That I know, though, is easier said than done. And it's something that if you are entering a new role, I encourage you to start laying the foundations because it will pay off if, you know, through the employment, but also whether you leave one year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, it's actually from day one that you do set up that open and transparent sort of relationship with them. Uh, But as I say, easier said than done. So I'm thinking that if someone's asking this question, then they're probably ready to leave their role shell and they're probably thinking, well, that's all well and good, but maybe I've got a really horrible boss or maybe I feel like the culture of my workplace, that might not fly or maybe I haven't set up that relationship. I don't have that open and transparent line of communication and so, you, you know, as you say, that security, that sense of security is not as strong. In which case, ideally, one of your referees is your current manager. It's somebody that actually employs you and can talk to your your performance at work and, and if you're a good citizen. So, if you can't go direct to your line manager, I would actually look to the side of them. So, is there someone that's more senior than you that maybe you've been involved with on project work or they've just been close enough to see your work even though you don't directly report to them? And perhaps it feels less threatening to be really open and honest with them. And you can actually ask them to be a referee. And that's good. And when you're saying going to someone who's more senior, that's really important because going to a peer, what, what's going to happen when you go for that job and the recruiter or the uh, HR team 
call your referee, they're going to ask what your working relationship is with that person. And so if it's, it's a peer member, when they say, oh, okay, so have you managed this person? They'll be like, no, I'm a peer. That's going to be a flag for the um, person doing that reference check because they're going to wonder, why don't you have a manager as a referee? And it kind of doesn't have that same, I guess the optics are a bit weird, but what's your yeah, thoughts on that? I, I, I totally agree. It just for whatever reason, maybe it's an unwritten rule, doesn't have the same substance and your referee is your last line of defense in getting you that job. And it's really, it's a funny thing to remember that you go through a whole recruitment process. It's on you to sell yourself until that last hurdle, which is typically when a reference check is completed. And in that last hurdle, it's actually, if it's coming down to you and one other person, it's up to your referee to get you over the line. And it will just come with more Oh, validity, credibility, rightly or wrongly, if it is somebody more senior. And I guess for the person who asked this question, I worked in an organisation years back where the culture was pretty, I don't know what you'd call it. Sometimes there was a tone that might be considered vindictive. So I remember when I went for a different job, feeling quite nervous about asking my manager to be a reference so what I actually did in that environment was wait till the last moment. Yeah. And it, it could backfire and it's not foolproof, but it worked for me in terms of uh, getting the job, but also because I knew the business already really wanted me in the role. And so by asking my manager at the last moment, I felt like it was a pretty safe bet. And then they ended up giving me a good reference, but it, it meant that my job security wasn't impacted. So there is that option, but it's not foolproof. It's not. What I would say as well, just to, again, we're managing risk here. To help you manage that risk is have an open conversation with the recruiter or the hiring manager that you're dealing with or the HR representative. And actually, when they say, we'd really like to contact your referees, explain to them or ask them firstly, okay, what... Uh, type of referee would you like? So how many and what type? And they will, as we've suggested, likely say someone that you've reported to in your current role would be ideal. Then explain to them that absolutely you will find somebody. It might be difficult for you to be able to communicate this with your direct manager. Would it be okay if I found someone else who was senior at the same level in the organisation? So just ask questions, clarify, confirm. And then what you're doing is you're managing expectations and you're actually setting your relationship with the new employer up from the get-go to be open, conversational, honest. And that is exactly what I was talking about right at the beginning as far as creating the ideal situation when you then leave the next job. That's so good. And and that's what we want. We want to have a, a, that solid relationship with our manager that that doesn't come as a surprise. Totally. It starts in the recruitment process. Do you know the other thing I just thought of, Shell? If there's someone that has been more senior or there's been a change of your direct leadership while you've worked in your current role and they've left the business, you can also talk to yes. them. So you yeah. might say, look, my current manager is Matthew. I'm not comfortable talking to him about this, but uh, look, he's only been in that role for the last 12 months. Prior to that, I was working for a lady by the name of Jane. Would you be okay if I actually contacted Jane? I don't work with her anymore, but it's still quite current and she can talk about my first four years in the business. And that's such a good way to sell it. It becomes more, when you've worked with someone for longer, that's actually a better referee anyway. Yeah. You want your referee to be able to give current up-to-date sort of information on you and vouch for you. If they've, you know, if they've not worked with you for four years, that if it's flipped, that's probably too long. But if it was within the last 12 months, I think that's totally fine. Awesome. 
So next question then is actually on cover letters because at the moment I know a lot of people are in that stage of looking for roles. So we're having, we're seeing the job market has shifted and also that it's a lot more competitive at the moment in certain industries. So how do you, I guess, set your cover letter up? Because your resume doesn't change from job application to job application, but your cover letter does. So how do you set it up in a way that it is you're answering the questions in that selection criteria, but you're not going into too much detail. Like how much information is too much? I always recommend a cover letter of no more than one page. And it really does offer that opportunity to tell more of your story. But again, take cues from the advertisement. So if there's a formal selection criteria, uh, or even if there's not, and there's just a, a job ad that talks to this is what is important to us, this is what we're looking for, use their language throughout. Use uh, get your highlighter out uh, either, either on the computer or if you want to do it old school and find either the dot points or find the keywords. Somebody has taken a lot of time and care to write that ad and use those words for a reason. So reflect that back to them and don't be afraid to use their language uh, and different synonyms than you might normally because if somebody is reading it and they're just scanning, the words that are familiar to them because they've put them in the job ad are going to jump out at them more easily. and also. Use it as an opportunity to show a little bit of personality. So you definitely want to hit home how you suit the role, but you also, again, want to start to build the relationship, want to start to allow that employee to get to know you. It doesn't need to be clinical. It just needs to be relevant. The other thing with cover letters, be as concise as you can be. When a recruiter is looking at like 100 upwards applications they don't want to read waffle. They want it to be clear and concise. So make sure you work hard. Do your first draft, review it and go through with a scalpel. Take things out, look at that sentence structure, look at what's too wordy and um, I think take a really critical lens through that document. The other thing is make it about the business. People really, um, I don't like reading cover letters where it's all about the person Talk about the business, why, why you think that you align to that business rather than you just selling yourself because you can do, anyone can do that. But when you connect the dots between what the business does and what you think you can bring or add in ways that you can add value, that's going to resonate more with that person who's assessing your application. One of our first episodes uh, that we released was on resumes and we touched on cover letters, I, I believe. It's testing my memory now, but I'm pretty certain we do. But where I'm going with this is if you listen, go, go back and find that episode and listen to that. Everything that we say in there, whether we're saying it about a resume or a cover letter, it stands when it comes to exactly what you've just described, Shell, but also when it comes to white space, when it comes to what to play up versus what to either play down or leave out, getting someone else to proofread it. All of those uh, tips and tricks I highly recommend in answer to this question. 100%. So the last one about new jobs, what advice would you give Em for someone in the first 90 days of their role? Such a good question. And oh, I've, I've seen this question before be asked at all stages of a career. So not only when you're in the first 90 days of your first job out of uni or in an apprenticeship, also when you're in the first 90 days of your, you know, maybe the mid-career stage and then even executives are still asking themselves this question, what am I going to do? I've seen it asked at interviews as well. How will you set yourself up for success in the first 90 days? So I love this one. The first thing that came to mind for me was listen. 
So spend time just soaking it all up, be a sponge and just take in this new world around you because as much as you're, you're bringing something new, you're bringing your own career expertise that you've built, there's going to be a lot of information that's specific to that organization, the culture, the who's who that you just don't know and don't have and that that context will be so important in how you channel the professional expertise. And by listening, you start to gauge the cultural climate When you're coming in from another organisation to a new one, there's actually a culture shock process that takes place. Even if it's a similar industry, there's still a unique kind of way that business works. And I've seen a lot of people do this well, and then I've seen a lot of people do this badly, where they come in, they voice their opinions really loudly, and they don't realise whoa, that's, that's way off. Like the tone or the approach is just not kind of aligned with who we are as a business or our culture. That's not how we do it around here. That's it. You know, if they're left thinking that. So I, I picture this puzzle where you've got one puzzle piece that's completed and that's the fact that maybe you're in marketing and so you bring that technical expertise and you go, good, I'm in a marketing job, I'm, I've got marketing experience. Okay, that's the puzzle piece I've got. The rest of the puzzle is where it gets fun and that is the people, the climate, culturally, it's the sort of vibe of how decisions are made or the who's who, first impressions can be deceiving. So you might start to think, you know, first day, everyone will be lovely to you, I'm sure. But over time, you'll start to get a sense for whether or not you need to approach different people or different situations in a particular way. You'll get a sense also for what has the organisation already made decisions on? What have they already done in the past? What have they explored? And how can you not come in too hot with things that maybe they're already sort of beyond as an organization as well. I think that's important. And so by listening and doing a huge amount of that in that first 90 days, you're going to add puzzle pieces and you're going to remove assumptions because assumptions can be really dangerous. That's so good on the assumptions. I think when we go into a new business, we're using what we know from our previous experience and trying to apply it to a new environment. And that can sometimes be riddled with risk because we're still trying to figure out what that new environment is. So it's like that acclimatizing to the new. You do that through listening. You do that through watching how people work, watching what those meeting, the vibes in those meetings, the way people communicate, they tell a story. So read and listen to that story as well as the the big thing for me would be when you come in, drop the ego. Mm, Sometimes people want to impress because you feel this pressure of, in the first 90 days, I need to show what I can do so that people trust me. That actually very often backfires where, where you come in and you go, I've done this and I've done this at my previous job and I've had all this experience. People don't warm to that. Super practical way I would uh, try and navigate that just in listening to you talk, Shell, because I totally agree, is ask more questions, if not only ask questions for at least the beginning of this 90 days, as opposed to giving trying to come up with the answer, giving your advice or proposing solutions. Just ask questions. So good. Uh, And then the final thing, again, just probably a little practical one that I would tack on the end is if this uh, is not already sort of proposed by your your leader, actually go to them and ask if you can have some regular check-ins put into the calendar. If if they don't mind, can you pop in a regular check-in? Maybe it's at the end of the first week. 
and then it could be that it's weekly, it could be that it's monthly or, or a different rhythm after that, whatever sort of suits the vibe and preference and maybe the pace of the role as well. But I think that opportunity to sit down, even if only for 20 to 30 minutes in a regular time frame over the first 90 days is a good opportunity for you, again, to have their undivided attention to ask more questions and they will no doubt ask you for your feedback as well. Love it. All right. This might be my turn to turn the tables on you. So we've got a number of questions here about pay. And I love asking you pay questions, Shell, and, and putting that pressure on you. So <laughs> <laughs> if I can, I'm going to start with one that's very timely right now. We are in, uh, I guess, a situation where for the majority of people, organisationally, it's been tough. Conditions have been really tough. And we've felt that as individuals. So it might be that there's been stand downs or redundancies that we've experienced either in our uh, sort of world or, or of ourselves, or it might be reduction in hours or wages. On the flip side, there's absolutely a part of the business world that is killing it. Uh, and so, Shell, is it okay if we ask for a pay rise at the moment, given that current climate? Yeah, my my response in one word is depends. <laughs> I feel like that's a very, um, I think lawyers do the depends response really well. <laughs> it's like, hmm, let me think. It depends. And it does depend. So I think it depends on the industry. What's happening in your industry? If you're in manufacturing and you haven't been impacted and your business is going really well or your business is booming, then it's totally fine to ask for a pay rise. And in fact, there's some organizations that have really taken off as a result of the pandemic because they've brought in more revenue due to that industry or that business. And so it would make perfect sense in that context to ask for a pay rise as you would normally. However, there are are a lot of industries that are suffering and we're seeing that if your business is on JobKeeper, I'd be saying, no, it's not a good time to ask for a pay rise. If your organisation has had stand downs or reduction in wages and hours, if that's happening and you're seeing that happen, I think it's pretty insensitive to ask the business for a pay rise in that climate. So take maybe the focus off you as an individual and look at the state of the team. If the the goal is that we all want to get out of this period and uh, we want the business to do well and we all want to do well together, we want wages and, and the number of staff to continue on, we don't want to see redundancies and those kinds of things. So taking that team lens, I wouldn't be asking for a pay rise right now. Shell, you mentioned uh, earlier in your answer this idea of if the business is doing well, and then we've unpacked since then if the business is not doing well and some of the indicators of that might be if it's on JobKeeper and so on and so forth. How do we know if the business is doing well, particularly if maybe it feels like nothing's changed? Yeah, so I guess if you've got access to the P&L or some kind of uh, financial metrics, you can assess that in that way. I know lots of businesses are quite transparent with their financial performance. So I'd be looking at those figures. If that stuff's not available, ask your manager, how's the business doing? How are we going in this climate? What's happening? How's the economic situation impacting us? That'll give you a sense check of how the business is going. You use that data then to decide, is this a time for me to ask for a pay rise? Because if the manager comes back and says, we're going really great, actually, we're doing really well, then maybe in a couple of weeks, you circle back and have that conversation around pay because you've got that data point that says we're we're good. Is it going to be a bit weird and sus if you're somebody that's never shown an interest before and then you're asking about the business's uh, viability? 
Or would you, you know, do you say, look, I was considering talking to you about a pay rise. I wasn't sure if it was a good time or not. I'd actually really love to know how the business is going. Like, can you yeah, be upfront? Yeah, I think that's a good way to do it, Em. Like, I love that of, of you kind of being upfront and saying, usually at this time of year, we start talking about pay, but I am conscious of the climate. I don't want to be, uh, what's the word, like maybe tactless or um, seem insensitive to what's happening. Yeah, that's it. And I know I don't have the full picture. So mm. what do you think? Like, are you seeing us still kind of going well or, or is this not a time to be talking about this? In which case I completely understand because I know externally it's really tough for a lot of businesses. So I just wanted to sound it out. So you almost, uh, it's funny, you would normally go to your boss and ask for the pay rise, but instead you're actually going to your boss to ask for advice about whether you should ask them for a pay rise or not. Yeah. I but, like that. But it is a nice, I think it's a nice approach. It's more sensitive to what's happening. Yeah. And it gives the employer, your manager or uh, the business owner that you're approaching the opportunity to say, look, for what it's worth, this is how we're going. So it's probably not a great time, but we have been talking as a leadership team about revisiting this uh, six months from now. And we'd really love to do that. So I'm glad you've raised it with me. And then it gives you clarity around, uh, oh, you know, again, I'm thinking about Shell, your great advice in the past where it's like, you know what we know and you know what we don't know. Or you know what a decision yeah, has been made right. about and you know what a decision has not been made about yet. And that can be peace of mind in itself. And kicking the can down the road. So if they say, look, we're going to circle back in six months, you're able to then go, no worries, I'd love to resume the conversation then. And then in six months, it's so much easier to say, hey, do you remember about six months ago, this is what uh, you let me know, where are we at on that? Yeah. If you have lined up all of these ducks and worked out that it is appropriate to ask for a pay rise, Shell, what would you suggest is sort of a a guide on what sort of amount percentage-wise perhaps is reasonable to ask for? Well, I was just reviewing uh, not that long ago, uh, Institute of Management and Leaders release a salary survey. In that, they uh, indicate the average salary movement recorded across organisations for 2019 through to 2020. And they indicated that the average movement for salaries is 2.8%. So to me, that gives me a bit of a sense of, okay, well, how much would I be asking for? It'd probably be between 3 and 5%, knowing that organisations, if you ask for, say, they might come back with two. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a a good kind of figure to go off if you're asking for an annual increase. And then also knowing what Fair Work are doing. Because I know they've just released, I think Forsyth's just released something on that for people, didn't they? They have just released their minimum wage review findings or I guess decision. And uh, they've increased minimum wage by 1.75% this year, which is less than we've seen in previous Previous. years. Yeah, because over the last... The two previous years, it, it went up by 3.5% and 3% the year prior, yeah. I believe. So that's, that is a good indicator that things are not moving. And they've also, what they've done this year, which we've not uh, seen, at least in my time, uh, I've not known this to happen, is they've exercised their power to delay that increase in uh, some industries. So they've got three batches where they've taken the different awards and they've batched them down based on industries so some of those increases do apply as they, as we've known them to in the past uh, as of July 1 or the first pay period on or after July 1, whereas others we actually wait until a point in the future. And I love, I actually think fair work, as much as most people aren't on award, but it is a good indicator of what's happening externally because it tells you 
they do obviously a lot of research to get to that outcome and decision. And the fact that they've staged the increase. So like a lot of people would be on, on the Clark's Award, Clerk's Award, Clark's Award, never know how to say it. I'm not weighing in on that one. It's controversial. (laughs) You're out there on your own. It's controversial. (laughs) Um, It is getting released, I think, in November. And so it does show that the industries that will kick off on 1 July are part of that essential servicing, probably not that impacted by COVID. Health and… Yeah, that's right. So it's just a good sense check as part of this to know what's happening there because that should and can impact how you would approach a pay rise uh, conversation at work. These are all really awesome indicators of the market. Absolutely. Now, this is uh, another question on pay, although moving away from pay rises. And this is the lucky last question for you, Shell. We've had uh, one of our Facebook community members actually receive an overpayment. And the question is, what, what do you do in that situation where your employer has overpaid you? Tell them. Very simple. You just got to tell your employer, if you ever get an overpayment, honesty is the best policy. So let them know that that's happened. Nice. And then what would happen from there in your experience? Yeah. So usually you would uh, get that amount deducted from your pay and you can discuss that in a way that works for you. So say if you didn't notice straight away and you noticed maybe a month after it had been paid, you could ask to do it on a, on a kind of plan. So they might deduct an amount per fortnight or per week in order for you to pay that back. Easy. It is easy, but it is best to be upfront because at end of month when accounts reconcile uh, the pay run or however it works, it'll get picked up mm. like 99.8% of the time. <laughs> I reckon it gets picked up. And so you just want to approach that with honesty and integrity and that's my- And I, I think don't overthink it too. I often when these questions are asked, uh, to you know, to your point, it's pretty simple. Just let them know, and then everyone can get on with their life. That's right. Mm, love it. So that wraps up this bonus episode. It's great to be hanging out with you today. Thanks for everyone who's listened to the first season. We really love your support. And if you do uh, listen on Apple, subscribe, rate, and review. We love the community that we're developing and. Season two, we've got a lot of cool stuff coming up. It's been fun, Em. It's been really fun. And season two, so many more guests. We're having some very cool conversations with people who are experts uh, beyond what we can offer, but still in this realm of career. And so I feel like we're going to be at risk of sitting there talking to them for three or four hours, but we won't let that happen. There's some very cool characters. So look out for season two. Thanks for hanging out. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.